Uh, let's talk today about miracles. Do you believe in miracles? Maybe some of you are old enough to remember Catherine Kuhlman. Catherine Kuhlman had a program, and her theme of her life was, I believe in miracles. And I can tell you, I believe God, according to the Word, and I believe the Word, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know what that literally means? It's what He did yesterday, He will do today. Uh, there's there's a, a, an outbreak. The Lord gave me a prophetic word this morning that I'm going to hold on to for next week. I mean, a very powerful just came, and, and uh, it's very relevant. But basically, there's a rumbling going on. The earth is shaking, and I'm talking about spiritually. This is a season of time when God is preparing to pour His Spirit out once again. And uh, during a season of kairos, a season of a visitation in time, a season uh, in time that God performs extraordinarily what He normally does, which is always extraordinary. But I'm telling you that things are going to happen in this nation, and it's going to reverberate around the world. There's already revival breaking out overseas in some of the nations that you would find remarkable to, to hear about. They say the fastest growing church uh, right now is in Iran, underground, and in China. There's already revival breaking out. It's just we need to hear because we're backsliding. But there are miracles taking place. And, uh, you know, my son-in-law drove to North Georgia, to Dawson, Georgia, where the uh, North Georgia revival is breaking out. You can Google it and check it out. That's a solid move of God that where incredible things are happening. Um, one of the people in our church, Jason's uh, uncle, I believe, right, Jason? Uh, went there with your dad and mom, and, and uh, my understanding is he was totally swollen up with fluid. His body filled up very, very ill, and... Uh, just like that, he's healed. No fluid. And uh, last I checked, he lives in California, that he's still doing fine. And so, you know, God does miracles. Now, again, I said last week, and I, I'll say again, I, there, there, sometimes I don't understand why everybody doesn't get healed, but that's God's business. That's not my business. But I do know God performs signs and wonders and miracles. And we're going to talk about one today. We're going to talk about a woman a woman uh, who basically is, uh, her, her name is not mentioned in the Bible. Like, you know, we talked about um, Bartimaeus uh, in getting his healing. He was blind and he got healed. Mentioned Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus. Some people in Bible college, we called him blind Bart, you know. Uh, he was, uh, you know, we're going to meet him in heaven one day and find out what it was like to have the feeling, the euphoric feeling that he must have felt when Jesus healed him. And it's according to his faith because he believed. Uh, he heard about Jesus, and when he heard the rumbling of people going around him, he knew that something extraordinary was happening. He cried out for, when he found out it was Jesus, he cried out, and when he was told to shut up, he cried out louder than ever before. Uh, I, I'll tell you, the violent take it by force, the kingdom. And, and Bartimaeus was not going to be denied his miracle. You know, my son-in-law went down there and he said, you know, everything points, I still feel the same, I've still got the problems, but Dad, I'm still believing God that he's going to take care of it, and maybe he's already healed me, and I just need to appropriate it. And, it, it, and that's, not, that's not doublespeak, that is faith, faith believing 
do you believe in miracles? Now, you say yes, but the real test comes to when you need a miracle. When you, when you need one, uh, that's when the rubber hits the road, when you need the miracle. And when you need the miracle, that's when you want people to pray in earnest for you. We need to pray for one another. Amen? In fact, we need to pray, period. You know, we have a prayer meeting here on Tuesday morning. I'll attend my last one next Tuesday. And, uh, you know, the, uh, a lot of the folks are still praying at home, but they don't come out. And, but the ones who do come are faithful. And we're down here praying, and we pray up a storm. But if you're available on Tuesday between 10 and 12, you need to show up and spend some time in prayer because we need prayer warriors. I'm going to talk about a little bit that next week um, in my last sermon here. But today we want to talk about the subject of touching Jesus because, you know, you want a miracle, you've got to reach out and touch. You know what I'm saying? He reaches down with his strong and his mighty right hand, his saving arm, and he picks us up, scoops us up out of our situation, whether it's down deep in the gutter or whether it's a religious piety that we're basically good people but we still need a Savior, and he scoops us up and he lifts us up and saves us, cleanses us, puts us on the rock, Christ Jesus, for a foundation of our life, and he fills us with his spirit, and he commissions us uh, to go out and win people for Jesus. Would you say amen to that? You know, but there's times he's reaching down to us, we need to reach up and touch him, because he's reaching down to touch us. We need to reach up and touch him. Now, as we talk about this woman uh, that's listed in the Bible in several of the Gospels, given, you know, it's a, uh, different account from different perspectives. Uh, she's in desperate straits. She's, listen, she's in trouble. She's, she's in deep mire. Uh, this woman, uh, we don't know much about her uh, except from tradition, um, but uh, tradition says that uh, this woman's name was actually Veronica, although in the scriptures and the gospels they don't give her name. So seemingly she's insignificant, Not unlike Bartimaeus or Lazarus or Mary, Martha. Her name isn't mentioned, but God knows who she is. And, and I thought about this while I was reading this and preparing this, is there sometimes we feel so insignificant. We say, well, nobody really knows my name. I'm not famous. Uh, people don't look up to me. But can I tell you something? The most important person in the universe, the God and creator of the heavens and the earth, the first person of the Godhead who spoke the world and everything is into existence, he knows your name. He knows who you are. He knows your background. He knows your history. He knows the things that you're ashamed of. He knows what's inside of your soul. He knows the longings and the dreams that you have. And I can tell you that he's the one who put dreams and longings into your heart for the things that are godly, things that are God's. He knows your name. And he knew this woman's name. And it tells her name was Veronica. And at uh, one time, uh, a house... Uh, was there in the city of Caesarea Philippi, was pointed out as hers, and, and at the gates of the house was a sculptor's work of a woman kneeling with an outstretched hands before the Lord, extending a hand to her. It was said that she erected this monument in memory of her healing when she touched the hem of his garment in her desperate situation. Uh, the commentary here says that it's unlikely that the woman was a Gentile for she had, had been a Jewess and was not 
would have, as a uh, as a Jewess, she would not have dared to go abroad in her uncleanness. And here's here's the thing about this woman: she she seemingly was insignificant in the culture she lived in, but she had something that really broke through for her and gave her a breakthrough, and that was her faith. That uh, that faith that she exhibited when she pressed past and broke. Uh, tradition. She broke the, the uh, rules, the religious rules to press in. She had dreams of a future and a hope even though she had been sick for 12 long years. She had been, listen, isolated for 12 long years because she had to quarantine. Think about that. Over the pandemic, many had to quarantine and stay at home and uh, it created a, an incredible amount of uh, mental distress and mental illness, and a lot of things happened that wouldn't have happened that were bad that if we hadn't been quarantined. But here's the thing. She had dreams of a future and a hope in her life despite her illness. She longed for acceptance from her family and her friends. She desired to be able to integrate into society, to go shopping, to go to parties, <clears throat> to go to the house of worship and enjoy life. But this woman's story takes place within a larger story, though. It's like a story within a story because Jesus is on his way to a synagogue, from, uh, to a synagogue leader's house to heal his dying daughter. And we read about it in Mark chapter 5, 22 and 23. And it says that then the leader of a local synagogue, whose name, notice his name is mentioned, he's an important person, arrived when he saw Jesus and he fell at his feet pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying. He was desperate, like this woman was desperate. A story within a story. People come along, please come along and lay your hands on her and heal her so that she can live. Now here's the other thing. He, like this woman, believed in miracles. He, like this woman, heard about Jesus. He, like this woman, heard that he healed others is God a respecter of persons? Maybe he asked himself. She probably asked herself that question too. Is God a respecter of persons? If he did it for others, he'll do it for me. Amen? What he did for others, he'll do for you. And so verse 24, Jesus went with him and all the people followed crowding around him. They were going to go see this incredible miracle that he was about to do. The people believed. And they wanted to see what Jesus would do because they had either heard or already seen him do others. They wanted to see this. So the crowd's coming along with him. And while Jesus is quickly making his way to heal this important man's daughter, an unnamed woman causes interruption in his process. Can I tell you, you know, that's my words, by the way, you know, interruption in the progress of Jesus. But can I tell you something? That when we call on the Lord, we're not messing his schedule up. Okay? He... He always has his ear open to the prayers of his people. He always has time for you. I remember in North Dakota, and I had a, a church that we were pastoring for five years, and it was a troubled church, and every now and then I'd have to call my district superintendent, Marcus Bakke, a very loving, uh, wise, and strong leader, and uh, call him up. Um, and he's, I know he's very busy. I mean, our superintendent here, John Davis, works his head off along with Rich Davis, our rich uh, uh, Limburg and they, they uh, I mean, they, they work hard. And, but I call him, I say, uh, Brother Baki, uh, do, you, do you have a little bit of time for me? And he would laugh. And I always wondered on the phone, why are you laughing at what I'd say? Because <laughs> he did that a lot. And uh, he'd say, uh, Tim, I always have time for you. 
and he put me at my ease. Can I, can I tell you, Marcus was reflecting the character of Jesus. Okay? I always have time for you. Jesus is saying to you today, I always have time for you. Just talk to me. In fact, he's waiting for your call right now. Would you say amen to that? And so she comes along and the travel plans are messed up. Now, could this be the reason that Jesus didn't tell Jairus, hey, just go back home. You know, he's done this before. You know that Jesus does things differently with different people? Do you ever notice that? He doesn't always do the same thing twice. We're the ones who want to capsulize it and put it in a box. He can do anything he wants out of the box. In fact, when we put God in the box, it's almost like a challenge to him that he's going to show us that, hey, I'm not going to get in your box. I'm not going to to follow your agenda. I'm going to follow mine. Because his agenda and his ideas are always better than ours. And so instead of saying that to to Jairus, you know, go ahead, your, your daughter's healed, you know, and he could have just stayed there. But there was a, there was a divine appointment on the way to Jairus's house that the Holy Spirit had set up for Jesus and this woman to encounter one another. I I remember when the Holy Spirit initiated an encounter with me and Jesus back on November the 1st, 1969, when I went to a Kansas City Youth for Christ rally, and I touched Jesus for the first time. How did I touch him? Because he was reaching down to me. I just reached up and touched him because he reached down to me. And the Holy Spirit said, just reach up and take his hand. And his strong and mighty right hand pulled me up out of the pit and saved me. Has he done that for you? You had an encounter with Jesus. We need to touch Jesus more than just at our salvation. We need to press in and touch the hem of his garment every day that we need a touch from him. And, and this woman, uh, here she is. She's, she's, she's at this Appointed time. She didn't realize that God had already set up an appointment. This is your appointment. But she knew within herself that I need to be at a certain place at a certain time if I want my miracle, if I want my longings and my dreams to be fulfilled. And so I, my question today is, do you know somebody like this woman who's struggling with so many issues? Do you know someone, male or female, boy or girl, someone who's struggling Jesus wants you to point them to him. Jesus wants you to tell them about him because she heard about him even though she had never met him. She heard about him from somebody who knew him. And this has been a theme in many of my sermons over the last few months is you need to be the one to tell people about Jesus and what he does so that their faith gets stirred up and their expectations rise and they reach out and believe God for greater things. Amen? Do you know someone who's a shut-in, maybe due to bad health or some other issues or some other ailment? You know, you need to be the one to reach out to them and tell them about Jesus. So what do we know about this woman? Excuse me. This woman, we know first of all that she was desperate. Have you ever been desperate? I, I, I remember a story from... Um, Ruben Herrera, he was a missionary to Mexico. He'd been in the Philippines, and then he was in Mexico building a church there in a community down there, El Torio in Mexico. And he shared about his childhood. He, he uh, grew up in a very poor home. His father had uh, died. His mother was a widow, and him and his brothers were uh, living in this little tiny uh, rundown, uh, dilapidated apartment. And 
He said, I remember uh, one night me and his brother or brothers went to bed. I don't remember if he had one brother or two, but he says, we were in bed and we were sleeping and I got up to go to the bathroom and I heard something out in the living room. And uh, maybe it was her, his mother's bedroom, heard something. And I heard my mom talking and she was weeping and she was uh, just really crying out. And he peeked around the corner and saw that she was on her knees and she was crying out. This is the middle of the night, maybe two or three in the morning, and she's weeping and crying and praying her heart out to the Lord. And he said he went back to bed, and he said uh, a couple hours later got up again, and mom's still in prayer position, weeping and crying. And he, he, he shared that the reason she was doing that is because she had no provision. There was no food in the house for her children or for her. She didn't know what she was going to do. And she was like this woman. She was desperate. Desperate. Have you ever been desperate? Desperate. And, and he said in the morning, we got up, kind of rubbed the sleep out of her eyes, and uh, my mother, he says, my mother just goes to the door. And she heard a little knock. She opened up the door, and there's bags of groceries sitting outside of her door in the hallway. Did I tell you something early? Let me repeat it. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, can I tell you, what he did for others, he'll do for you. What he did for others, he did for her. But listen, somebody had to hear the voice of God. Somebody had to reach out and touch her in the name of Jesus and be the one to put those groceries out there because they were alerted by the Holy Spirit that this little woman needs some help. Somebody say amen. And so we have this woman who's desperate, a woman in the crowd, that she just calls her a woman in the crowd, had suffered 12 years, that's a long time, and was in constant bleeding. Can you imagine that? You know, the, the life of the body is in the blood. And this woman, life was leaching out of her every day for 12 years. She had suffered, can you say suffer? She had suffered like maybe we have never had to suffer, but she suffered a great deal, the Bible says, and from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. You know, doctors don't heal you. They only, they're only ministers of the Lord. I believe, whether they believe God or not, they're ministers of the Lord to help you with what they can, but God is the one who brings healing to your body. And she had suffered. They did what they could, but they, in their knowledge, they had nothing to help her. They did what they could, and she had spent all the money. They got paid, but she was no better. And in fact, not only not better, but she'd gotten worse. You know, time, you might say, was running out in her life. She had this bleeding condition. Uh, the old King James calls it an issue of blood, that the blood was issuing from her. And somebody once said in a, in a discussing this particular passage from the issue of blood is that there are many, many women who have issues. Can I, can I tell you that there are many, many men who have issues? It's not, it's not relegated to one sex or the other. And the issue is that each one of us has, because of the situation that we're in, as blood leaves the body, life leaves the body. Weakness and fatigue enter the body. And the issues in our lives, if they're not healed by the hand of the Lord, by us touching Jesus, will suck the life out of us. And there's a lot of believers, people who trust in Christ, who still have issues where you are being 
bleeding life out of you because those issues are sucking the life out of you. Can I tell you today, you need to stir up the faith that is in you, the gift of God. And you need to get on your knees if necessary and press through the crowd all of the things that distract you from Jesus and head straight for his garment. Touch Jesus and let him heal your issues. Let him help you through the troubled things that grip your heart and suck the life out of you. But she, like us, many times suffered a great deal and she needed to get better. Uh, she had spent all of her money on treatments from many doctors. Nothing helped. In fact, the blood issue only grew worse. And we also know that the Jewish law declared us, uh, her to be ceremonially unclean because of the issue of blood coming out of her. Leviticus chapter 15, 25 through 27 says that they're not supposed to touch anything and no one's supposed to touch them. Can you imagine that not having the physical touch? Uh, this meant that she was not permitted to, to enter a synagogue or the temple for Jewish religious ceremonies. She was cut off from there. And according to the law, anything or anyone that she touched would remain ceremonially unclean as well until evening. So the woman was also, the, I think the worst thing was very alone. No one <clears throat> would have wanted to be around her because they wouldn't want her to somehow contaminate them. She couldn't go out in public for fear that she would be uh, called on the carpet by the religious leaders. She couldn't be hugged by her family. Twelve years, listen to me, is a long time to be quarantined from people. I think that we can all agree that she was desperate for a miracle. Amen? You would be too. She was desperate for a change in her status quo. I think if it was me, I'd be sick and tired of being sick and tired. You ever know that? You know, you know somebody who's chronically ill, you just get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Her situation drove her to, some, to do something radical. And though she was tired and worn out and intensely lonely, she was more so desperate, which can be a very good thing because desperation keeps complacency and self-pity away. Desperation causes you to move into action, to do something different than you've been doing. To do something different than you've been doing. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Secondly, the woman was not only desperate, she was determined. Uh, Mark 5, 27 and 28 says this, when she heard, say heard, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him. Now, he's leaving a feast at Matthew's house. He's on his way with Jairus and the crowds to, to heal her, his daughter. And she comes up behind him in the crowd, and she reaches through and touches the hem of his garment, which means, tells me, that she was probably on her knees, crawling through between the legs of the people, pressing in around Jesus to touch him before he got too far away from her because she didn't have the energy because of the fatigue. She wanted to press in and touch him while she still had him in her sights. And, and the Bible says, because she thought, say thought, it's important what you think. It's important what you think, what you meditate on. It's important what you think because what you think will be what you will do. And she, she thought within herself, you know, if I could just touch, if I could just press in, if I could just be stealthy and, and just press in and touch him without being noticed, I could touch him and I know that I'd be healed. I know that I'd be healed. You know, what I love about this is, is that she built herself up in the faith. She encouraged herself. 
to believe in a miracle, to believe in hope against hope, that somehow, some way, that if I activate my faith by doing what I'm thinking I'm supposed to do, that I'll touch it. Now, I want to ask you a question. What put it in her mind? Who dropped it into her thoughts at the possibility that if I do something desperate and outrageous, that I'm going to get a miracle? How did she come up with that? Huh? What? I believe that the Holy Spirit whispered into her ears, dropped a thought into her mind of possibilities that were impossible in the natural. That if somehow, some way, if you could just press in and touch, not Jesus, but touch just the hem of his garment, a garment that he's wearing, that you'll be healed. I think the Holy Spirit had a lot to do with that, don't you? And, and here's the thing. She heard about Jesus, and we've already talked a little bit about that, but it's important that people hear about Jesus. Now, they may mock and scoff, but if they keep hearing about, and they start hearing about this incredible move of God that is rocking, beginning to rock this nation and rock the world, people are going to press in like the crowds are who are there to watch Jesus do another miracle. They may be just observers, but the more they observe, the more they believe, and then they'll press in and touch him. Matthew Henry's commentary on uh, this particular passage adds an insight into the story that when she heard people speak of the power of Christ, she believed, and she began to hope. Once you believe, you begin to hope. And again, for an ultimate cure, she began to believe for that. And if she could just get close to him, Matthew Henry says, she had been hiding so long that she felt she couldn't just go up to him and talk to him. She was embarrassed and she needed as uh, private a cure as she could get. So she devised a plan, he says. If she could just touch his clothing for just a second... She pushed her way through the crowd, a crowd that could turn on her if they realized that she was that woman, the one with the issue of blood. You know what? Thirdly, she found deliverance because of her faith. And again, she thought with it to herself, if I could just touch his robe, I'd be healed. And what's verse 29 say up here? Verse 29, is it up there? Let's go to the next slide. Immediately. I've been here about 22 years. You know I love those words in the Bible. I don't know if the next guy will, but I do. Because, listen, there's times when you go on, she's been going on 12 years. No change, only getting worse. Hopes and dreams. Maybe she went through a time of victimhood where she said, why me? Why is this happening to me? I don't know how much longer I can put up with this. I don't know if I can stand this. Maybe, 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 I don't know. Maybe she even thought about ending her life. People who are desperate do desperate things. But here's the thing. After all these years, she touches Jesus immediately. The bleeding stopped, it says. And how did she know that? Because she could feel in her body. She felt something. There's an old song that 
an evangelist and his wife used to sing when they'd come to our little church in, in Liberty, Missouri. And it's called, I don't remember the title of it, but part of it is, is I'm so glad that when he saved me, he gave me something I can feel. Aren't you glad that you can feel the Holy Spirit? Aren't you glad that he isn't just some <laughs> faraway God that's just distant and away from you, says, okay, I saved you, you can go to heaven, but I don't really want to touch you. Can I tell you something about Jesus? He wants to touch you. And can I tell you something else? Jesus wants you to feel free to come and touch him. Okay? He's not afraid of your germs. He's not afraid of being contaminated. This woman, according to the rules of the uh, religious rules, she contaminated him when she touched him. But Jesus, <laughs> no, because guess what? There is, a, there is a river that flows from beneath the throne of God a mighty river of God that is pure and clean and holy. And the Word of God says about that river that anything that is impure when touches that river is suddenly made clean. Can I just say immediately made clean? And so this woman, according to the religious law, when she touched him, he should have been unclean, but instead she became clean. Isn't that, I don't know about you, that makes me happy. It means that, you know, when a little kid, the grandchild of mine, comes up and they, you know how they eat their first birthday cake? It's like, <laughs> and, they, and they're cut. we got pictures of our kids on their first birthday. All, you know, and you know what they have in common is you can't see their face because it's covered with chocolate. And their hands get messy because they reach in and grow it and rub it in their, you know, it's like, I don't want, and they want to reach it to, you know, take me, Daddy. It's like, clean up first. <laughs> Donna, come clean. <laughs> uh-uh, Jesus just picks you up and hugs you. He's not afraid of getting dirty. You know why? I want to tell you a secret. Why? It's because he loves you. It's because he longs for you that he wants to hold you, that he wants to help you, that he wants to walk with you through your troubles, that he wants to comfort you when you're hurting. And that, that you know, we sang it, how, you know, what a God thing that for the second Sunday in a row sang that song that I asked for last week, I'm a good, good, he's a good, good father. He's the best daddy you could ever have. I was thinking while we were singing this this morning, looking around, I'm thinking, how many of us here today, I'm thinking mainly of men, but I know there's women too, but I think, you know, uh, so many, every, you know, John um, Eldridge said that every, every man has a father wound. And I'm thinking, how many of us here have a wound? And that song would play again, he'd sing it again, another chorus. He's a good, good father. He's not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed to call you his son and his daughter. He was not ashamed of this woman. He was not, don't touch me. I'll speak the word because I don't want you to contend. He didn't do that. And he didn't do it to her. He doesn't do it to you. Somebody say amen. amen. She found deliverance. Immediately she stopped bleeding and she could feel it in herself. She could feel it in her body. I, I remember going... 
uh, to, well, Dennis was still pastoring in Athelstane and during the time after I had cancer and doctors give me all these horrible scenarios that's going to happen now because you're going to have to have radiation so soon after your surgery. And, and I went to, while I was recovering, I uh, went to first Sunday back going to Dennis Schmidt's church and I remember standing in line. They do things different than we do here and and uh, Dan Betts came up and prayed for me. Another man came up on the side, and I could see peripheral vision, and he began to pray and just say, God, show this man mercy, and he kept praying that. I mean, something happened. Something happened. Now, when I got prayed for at Calvary, I felt God's spirit. I felt God, you know, his love, his comfort. But something happened there that I could feel like this woman. I identify with that. Went back and sat down after prayer, and I looked at Donna, and I said, Honey, I think God healed me today. I think he touched me. And she said, I do too. She felt it too. We can feel in our body. On the night when Donna got healed of uh, four-stage cancer, she didn't feel a thing. (laughs) That's not even fair, is it? But I felt it. I, the only reason I could figure out why is because she, her faith came straight from the Word. My faith came from the Word, and I need to feel it too because my primary love language is physical touch. And so God knew my need. He said, okay, I'm going to heal her, but I'm going to make him feel the healing. And God's, God healed her. So isn't that awesome? God is still the one who do miracles. He heals cancer. So uh, here's the deal. The, the fact that She was in the crowd pressing around Jesus means that each person who bumped into her would have become unclean too, whether they knew it or not, according to the religious law, and including Jesus. But after 12 years of suffering, she was obviously desperate for a miracle, and she cast all that aside. Her deliverance came because of her faith. She pushed her fear of rejection, her fear of man, her fear of punishment in hope against hope that she might receive the miracle that she desperately needed. And in her desperation, she got to touch his garment and instantly the blood stopped and she felt perfectly well at that very moment But she couldn't remain anonymous as she wanted to. She wanted to slink away. But her feeling of triumph gave way to fear and trembling because Jesus, Mark 5.30 says, realized at once, we could say immediately, that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? And she was like, really? Do you have to do that? Do you have to expose me publicly? I'm in trouble. She was probably terrified at that time that I'm in deep trouble. And his disciples, of course, they're real bright fellows to have around. Uh, Jesus, look around. Come on. There's people all around you. They're t- everybody's touching you that can get near you. And, 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 uh, and, and he said, no, who touched me? And, but he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And she must have thought, what in the world is he going to do to me? And the woman's declaration has to come next because the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, she came in. She, he's going to find me out anyway. I've heard about this, this man. He gets words of knowledge, and he's never wrong. He never makes a mistake. And so she came, and she fell on her knees before him in a posture of begging mercy, and she told him all that she had done. And you know what Jesus said? It had to blow the minds of the religious leaders who were Pharisees and legalists. He didn't hold her accountable 
for the things she did wrong, but he said, daughter, did I tell you earlier that he's a good, good father? He didn't say woman, daughter. And here's what he said, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And here's something else he said, your suffering's over. <laughs> 12 years you don't have to worry about that coming back, honey, because once I touch somebody, they stay touched. Once he touches you, you stay touched. Somebody say amen. I, I, I remember when Donna got healed and we were rejoicing, celebrating, and she gaining energy every day. She was out planting garden and doing all kinds of things right after that and just a night and day difference. And she came to me one time and she said, I need to talk to you. And I said, well, what's going on? She said, well, I want to show you something. And she showed me a spot on her leg. And it, it, it was just like the spot that started the exposure or the revelation she had cancer. And a thousand things in a split second went through my mind was, this can't be. I know God healed her. How can this be? And in my mind, you know how the devil, you went through the invisible war small group, if you had, you know, that's what the devil likes to do. He, he likes to have you question the goodness of God. And it's like, God, why would you do this? And then I got mad. And I didn't say anything to Don. I just said, oh, because I didn't want to speak anything. I just felt, well, you be quiet. Don't say a word. So I just went my way, and I began to pray, and I began to tell God, Lord, you, it's not my reputation on it's yours. I know you touched her and healed her. Why is this happening? God, in Jesus' name, you need, to, you need to keep your word. You need to keep your promise. And I began to call on God. And I don't know, it was like, I don't know, three or four weeks later, I got the courage to ask her again. I said, hey, whatever happened with that? Because she hadn't told me. She said, oh, it went away. <laughs> you know what? Once he touches you, you're touched. You're never, ever, ever going to be the same. Would you, I mean, come on, you ought to have more amens than that. Once he touches you, you're never the same. You're never going to be the same. Now, you, you, can, you can go through a little period of, of where you're going to do your own thing, but you know what's going to haunt you? His touch. You know, you can never, listen, once he touches you, you can never enjoy sin the way you used to. I found that out when I, when I backslid when I was 15 and a half I, and I was doing all the stuff I thought would be fun, that the devil told me would be fun. I didn't enjoy any of it because there was so much guilt I knew this is wrong. The Holy Spirit was still messing with me because once he touches you, once he has you in the palm of his hand, he didn't let you go. My sister told me when I was back, she said, you know, you can run from God all you want, but he will chase you down until the day you die to, tell, to bring you back and to tell you he loves you. You know what that was? That was truth that shattered lies. Deception. And if you're here today, Jesus loves you that much and more. He's touched you. He's never going to let you go. You're struggling with issues Issues, issues that are sucking the life out of you, you need to bring them to the altar 
And as you're at the altar, you need to press in and touch the hem of his garment. And let healing virtue flow from his body into yours. And you will be free. Bow your heads in prayer. Worship team, come back. I don't know if this lady's name was Veronica or if it was Mary or Hillary. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. God knew her name. And she's in heaven. And when we get to heaven, we can have her tell her story firsthand. But you know, the one thing she's going to say is how thankful she was that somebody told me about Jesus. Somebody told me that he opened blind eyes and deaf ears, that he healed the lame, that he touched lepers. Maybe if he did all that, maybe he would do it for me. Maybe since he touched lepers when he wasn't supposed to, maybe he wouldn't mind if I touched him. I mean, I I can imagine how she's going to share that and the things she'll share. But you know what else is exciting is each one of us who've been touched by the Lord and we've reached in and touched him are going to have stories to share too. Now, if you're dealing with issues today, I don't know anything to tell you. I can't help you, but I can point you to the one who can. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we pray, and I'm going to open up these altars. I'm going to ask um, anointers to come to pray for you. Uh, If you need a miracle, they're going to agree together in prayer with you. If you want to come and just kneel at the altar, has been the custom of so many just to kneel and, and just reach in and touch Jesus by faith through your prayers then you come to the altar and you find a place of prayer because he is, I want you to listen, he is here. The omnipresent God is here. Jesus Christ is walking up and down this altar and among the aisles of the the seats. He is here. Press in and touch him today. Father, right now we commit, Lord, this altar time to you. We commit this prayer time to you, this, t- this holy moment, this holy time, Lord, of, of allowing us, imperfect human beings who have sinned, that are contaminated with sin, that we can press in and touch the one who gives life, to touch the one who heals our issues of blood and restores us to perfect health. So, Lord, as we come, Lord, meet us at the altar. Let us press in and touch you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Anoint.